Father, we just again just thank you for your word, and we thank you for uh, this baptism today and this baby dedication. And we we just, Lord, just things are so much better when we give them to you. And Lord, when we give our lives to you, when we give our children to you, and Lord, you you're just so full of grace, and you want the very best for all of us, as as your word says, Lord, in the book of James, that every good and perfect gift comes from from you, the Father of lights, Lord. We just thank you for that. Father, as we look at this little lesson today on, on controlling our tongue, I just ask that you uh, plant these truths deep in all our hearts. Uh, we all need to hear this, and, and uh, Lord, just show us how we can do that. Show us how we can be people who, who are swift to listen and, and uh, slow to speak, Lord. Just show us how we can do that. Uh, show us in, uh, how we can do it through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, and we'll just look at a couple of verses today. We're going to be looking at James chapter 1, uh, verse number 19 and verse number 20, and that's going to be it. I remember several years ago, we had a young couple in this church, and they had several young children, and, and they wanted their children in the church, and so we, they, their children were really good in church, and so I allowed them to keep their children in church uh, because usually when people do that for a while, they eventually put them in children's ministry anyway. And, and they did that. After a few months, they put their children in ch children's ministry. But one day, uh, the mother brought the youngest child. I think he was three, about three or four at the time. And she brought him up to get candy at the end of the service. And uh, she pointed at me. She said, "Who? you know who that guy is right there? And he nodded. And he's like, yes, I know who he is. And. She said, well, who is he? And I figured he was going to say the pastor or, you know, the guy with the candy or something like that. And he said, he's the talking man, the talking man. Now, I've never been called the talking man before, but I guess I am the talking man. But that's my job. That's my calling to be the talking man. And what I've learned over the years is when I'm not in this pulpit, I would much rather be called the listening man than the talking man. I've, I've learned over the years how important it is to listen to people. How much more important it is to listen to people than it is to talk to people. And James has a lot to say about listening in, in the book of James, and he has something to say about it here in these two little verses, too. Listen to, look, listen, listen to what he says in verse number 19. Uh, the, uh, first, just, we'll just look at the first part of the verse right now. He says, So then, beloved brethren, so who's he talking to? He's talking to us. He's talking to the people of the church. He says, so then, beloved brethren, let every man and every woman be swift to hear. We're to run to hear. That's what he's saying. We're to do everything we can as fast as we can to hear and be slow to speak. Swift to hear and slow to speak. Stephen Cole points out in his commentary on this verse, he says that, that God created us with two ears that we can't shut and one mouth that we can't shut. And maybe he was telling us something about when he created us that way, that he wants us to listen a lot more than he wants us to speak. And so we should be good listeners. And we especially need to apply this principle that James gives us here first and foremost in our conversations with God. I think... I don't know about you, but I think I approach God way too much as the talking man instead of the listening man. Way too much. 
And that's not the way it should be. I should be swift to hear, especially when I come to God. I should, I should want to hear from God more than anything else. It's the most important thing I can do each and every day is to hear from God. And you know what the Bible tells me, and you know what I've experienced, is that God wants to speak to me. If I'll just listen, he wants to speak to me. Listen to what James said back in verse number 5. Look at it. He says, If any of you likes wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you want wisdom, yeah, you've got to talk, you've got to ask God for the wisdom, but then what do you do? You're, you're, you're swift to listen. You're, you're swift to hear. You want to hear what God has to say. You've got to ask, and then you've got to be silent, and you've got to wait on God, and if you wait on God, He'll give you His answer in His time. But if you're doing all the talking all the time, how can you get an answer from God? We need to be like little Samuel. Remember little Samuel? The Lord spoke to him, and what did Samuel, how did Samuel reply after a few times? He replied, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In order to do that, in order to listen, we have to be still before the Lord. I mean, we can't just be silent with our mouths. We have to be silent with our thoughts. I love that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman, Be Still and Know That He Is God. Be still and know that he is holy. Be still, O restless soul of mine. Bow before the Prince of Peace. Let the noise and clamor cease. Be still. Be still. You know, we fill our prayers with so much clamor. Not only with our mouths, but with our thoughts. I mean, we, our just thoughts go on and on and on while we're trying to pray. We, we keep on talking. and It's really hard to listen to God if we're doing that. And that's why we're bad listeners. We're bad listeners. You know why? Because where's our focus? Our focus is on ourselves. You know, I, when I pray, I like to praise the Lord. But there's a danger there. A lot of times when I'm praising the Lord, I'm really kissing up to the Lord, trying to get him to give me what I want. And even our praise sometimes is self-centered. We're such prideful creatures. We're such self-centered creatures. Man, to overcome that, we have to be still, and we have to listen to the Lord. So in our prayers, we want to be swift to listen. But that verse also applies to our relationship with one another. Hey, you know what we say when we listen to people? You know what we say when we're good listeners? We say we care. And when you don't listen, it says, I don't care about you. All I care about is me. I was in a car with a particular lady a while back. With Brenda was there with me. Don't look around. It's none of you. Actually, it was Lois. No, I'm teasing. But I was in, no, Lois didn't like this. I was in, in a car with this particular lady, and she started talking, and she talked for 30 minutes without taking a breath. And everything that she had to say was about her and her situation. And if you went to interject a comment, she ran right over you. She didn't care about what you had to say. And she didn't really care about what was going on in your life. The only thing that was important was what was going on in her life. You understand how self-centered we are when we don't listen to other people? when we don't take the time to be good listeners? 
Then look at what James says in the last part of verse 19. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Man, that is a power-packed little three-word phrase right there. Slow to wrath. I, I probably ought to put that on my refrigerator. I don't know about you. Slow to wrath. You know, that fits the context of this verse perfectly because slow to speak and slow to wrath go hand in hand because a lot of times our verbal responses to what people are saying to us is nothing more than an outburst of wrath. I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm talking to somebody and they say something I don't like and everything turns red. And I don't hear anything else. And you know what I do at that point? I begin to prepare my response. And I don't, I don't listen, I don't hear them out. And I begin to prepare my response. And then I just run my mouth in anger. And I really make a fool of myself sometimes. I mean, sometimes if I just would have shut up and listened, I found, would find out later, if I just would have heard them out, what they were saying really wasn't wrong or it really wasn't as offensive as I thought it was. But boy, once you, those words come out, you can't take them back. So we're to be slow to wrath. Uh, what is wrath? What does he mean by wrath? I mean, wrath is... In the context of what we're looking at right here in James, it's unbridled anger. We call it losing your temper. Any of y'all do that? We lose our temper. You know, anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. God gets angry. I mean, he, he gets angry. But the Bible says, be angry. It says, be angry. Be angry, God gets angry. But there's a second part of that verse. Be angry and sin not. You know, God made us so that we get angry at unrighteousness. When we see something that's going on that is, that is unfair, that is unjust, it should make us angry. I read a story about a Green Beret sergeant first class. I think I shared this on Wednesday night a few weeks back, but uh, he was being kicked out of the army because he and his fellow, one of his, he and one of his fellow soldiers had come into a police station, and they had found this Afghan policeman, they, who was on the American payroll, by the way, had a little boy tied up in a back office, and he was raping him every day, and they came in on one of these rapes. And they grabbed the guy, and they beat him up, and they body slammed him until he was out the door. Well, being on the American payroll, he went and told the authorities. And what did our administration do? They pressed charges on the guy, and they're trying to kick him out of the Army. Someone's rightly said about this administration's Army, you can celebrate immorality, but you can't confront it in this society. It's pretty sad. And that should make us angry. And that made them angry. And I believe their behavior was, to some, in some, to some degree, was justified. 
And then the word got out in the public. I don't know if you heard about it or not, but, but uh, it made the news, and people were outraged. They were angry, and they began to call their congressman, and the last I heard, they're trying to reinstate this soldier uh, back into the Army. But things like that should make us angry. I mean, they should make us mad. But we're still to be slow to wrath. And why would he be slow to wrath? Look at the last verse there. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, I can't think of one single time where I lost my temper and produced the righteousness of God. There have been times where I thought, man, this is what I need to do. I need to lose my temper and just dress this person down for the sake of the Lord, and then the Lord dressed me down. Because the, right, the wrath of man never produces the righteousness of God. Never. You know, I love the character David in the Bible. We just finished that study a while back in, in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we looked at David, David and if you, if you examine his character... For the most part, he was a man who produced righteousness in his life. But also, if you remember the character David, he was a hot-tempered little dude, too. And he would get mad at times. And you didn't want to cross him because if you crossed him, he would run you through with a sword. He'd kill you. You remember that story we looked at uh, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 25 about this man Nabal, this fool named Nabal? And David was running from Saul, and he was... He was hiding out in the wilderness near Carmel, and that's where Nabal lived. And while he was there, him and his soldiers would, would chase away the Philistines and chase away thieves and chase away marauders. And, and David came to the conclusion that maybe they needed provisions. Maybe Nabal would be willing to help them because he had given them that protection. Well, Nabal didn't want to help them. In fact, Nabal sent word back to David. David sent some messengers and asked Nabal if, if he would help them, seeing he had helped them, and I mean, he would help them, seeing he had helped him, and uh, he said, "I don't need your protection." And he also went on to say, "Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water, and my meat that I have killed for myself, and give it to men who I do not even know?" Boy. David lost his temper right there on the spot. He turned red. He's told his soldiers, every man gird up your sword. We're going to go kill some people. And David girded up his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and they were going after Nabal. And, and we're told in the Scripture that, that David, David was going to kill every male in Nabal's camp uh, in revenge for what Nabal had said, and he was just going to take his provisions. Was David right to be angry? Sure he was right to be angry. But he was wrong when his anger turned to wrath. And if it hadn't been for Nabal's wife, Abigail, coming to stop him, David would have committed a, a terrible sin. He would have killed a lot of innocent people that, that were just workers for Nabal. And so the wrath of men never produces the righteousness of God. You want to see justice? Do you want to see the righteousness of God? Then turn your situation over to the Lord. That's what David should have done. And once David's temper cooled down and he turned the situation over to the Lord, do you remember what happened to Nabal the next day? He was struck dead, died of a heart attack. And so David got his justice. Now, look at those principles again. 
So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Easy, isn't it? How many of y'all do that all the time? Raise your hand. We got one. <laughs> and she probably is, does do better than most of us. None of us can do that. None of us can do that. How do we do that? That's, I mean, James, James is it's like reading Proverbs. It's good stuff. But James, how do we do that? I mean, how do we be slow to speak, slow to wrath, and swift? To hear. Well, David was a child of God. We're children of God. And God will give us what we need to be slow to speak and slow to wrath and swift to hear. David tells us about his journey over in Psalm chapter 39. Go with me, and it really should be all of our journey. Go with me to Psalm chapter 39 for a minute. We'll look at just a few verses here, and then we'll finish up. Look at verse, look at verse number one, and David's speaking here. He said, he said, in verse number one, he said, I said I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. You ever gotten to that situation where you, you're confronting somebody or in a situation where you think you might speak out and you say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this. I can, I can handle this situation on my own. And that's what David did. He so he says, I'll guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue and lose my temper and exercise wrath. He says, I will restrain my mouth with a muscle. I'm going to suck it up and no matter what's said before, look at what he says, while the wicked are before me, no matter what they say, I'm going to control my tongue. And then verse number two, look what happened. He said, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. I mean, I listened even though I had good things to say. I held my peace. And, or rather maybe translate that, but, but my sorrow was stirred up. The more the wicked man spoke, the more wicked things he said, the more my anger was stirred. And then look what happens in verse number three. And my heart was hot within me. See, he's seeing red. While I was musing, the fire burned. And what David, well, then what did David do? He did what he said he wasn't going to do. Then I spoke with my tongue. I blew up. And he spoke in wrath. You know what trying to hold your tongue is like doing? It's like trying to take a basketball and put it down on the bottom of a swimming pool in the deep end. The harder you push it down and the deeper you go, the harder you try, the more it's going to explode when it comes out. And that's exactly what happens when we try to control our tongue on our own. The more we try to control them when, we, when we're getting angrier and angrier and angrier, the more we're going to explode when we finally speak. And that's exactly what happened to David. But what does he do now? David does the right thing, and this is what we should do. But he should have done it before he got in this situation. He does the right thing. He prays, and listen to what he says. He says, Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. And Lord, show me that I'm nothing more than dust. 
Show me that in myself I have no power to control my tongue. You know, that's what we have to realize. Before we, really every day we have to, we're told to put on the new man. We have to realize that we are nothing more than dust. That in and of ourselves, we don't have the power to control our tongues. I've been crucified with Christ. We have to believe that. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Is Christ going to scream at people? Is Christ going to lose his temper? I mean, read the Gospels. He never screamed at people. He was angry on occasion. When he went in the temple and cleansed the temple, he was angry. But he never screamed at people. He never uh, lost his temper. And then in verse number 5, he says, Indeed, you made me as a hand breath, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. You know, later on we're going to see James describe us the same way in chapter number 4. He says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. David says, my age is nothing before you. In other words, I want to make the best of my days. I don't want to spend my days losing my temper. I don't want to lose my witness so that, that uh, I can't be a, be a witness for you. I don't want to do that. And then in verse number 6, he says, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. What's a shadow? A shadow has no substance. Most of us, we have no substance. We walk around like a shadow. We're nothing more than shadows. We're nothing more than machines if we don't have the Lord. He says, every man, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain and heap up riches and does not know who will gather them. We waste our lives. And now, Lord, what do I do? And, Lord, what do I wait for? And here's the answer. My hope is in you. What was his conclusion of the matter? That he was incapable of controlling his tongue on his own. We're vapors. We're shadows. We have no substance. We're, we're made of dust. We're nothing without the Lord. And our hope is in the Lord. And so David humbly asked the the Lord for help so that he can be a man of character and a man of substance. And look at verse number 8. He says, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me approach a rep the reproach of the foolish. In other words, don't let me say something rash that I regret. And then the Lord answered his prayer. The Lord will answer your prayer too. Listen to the answer. I was mute. I did not open my mouth. Because, not because of my strength, but because it was you who did it. It was you who did it. You want to control your temper? Then you've got to realize, first of all, you've got to come humbly to the cross and realize that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and, and the power to hold my temper is not in myself. The power to hold my temper is in the blood. It's in the life of Jesus Christ. And so you want to be somebody who controls your temper, even in Lafayette traffic? I mean, <laughs> seriously, even when someone offends you greatly? You know, what, what are we told to do when somebody strikes us on the cheek? And I think... More than anything else, Jesus was talking verbally here. What are we to do? 
We're to turn our cheek and give them the other cheek. We cannot do that in the flesh. If you want to have that kind of power over your tongue, then you've got to give yourself to the Lord. You've got to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. And he will give you control over your temper and over your tongue. And you can only ask for that if you take time to listen to the Lord. If you're still before the Lord. And you can only give, get the answer if you quit being the talking man and become the listening man. Let's go to the Lord. Father, again, we just thank you for your word and this great precept contained in these two verses. Lord, way, way too often we've made fool of ourselves by running our mouth when we should have kept them shut. Lord, we want godly character. We want your character. We want the kind of character that is kind to others even when others aren't kind to us. We want the kind of character where we speak godly words and not evil words. Lord, we don't have the power in of ourselves to, to do that. And so each and every one of us ask you today, Lord, to just by the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to control our tempers and control our tongue. We just thank you for what you're teaching us and your word. And Lord, again, we just thank you for the blessing of all these people who were baptized today and just just ask you to bless their lives in a special way. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord, we ask that you show them that they're sinners, Lord, and you show them their need for a Savior. And maybe today be the day of their salvation. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.